from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, February 8th, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios on the ones and twos, our illustrious engineer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. Over there, uh, without a mic, uh, manning the video feed, Clark Flippo. He said, hey. Hey. Uh, On the Skype line from (laughs) Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Uh, From Nashville, Tennessee, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everybody. And down the road, well, no, not really, from Athens, Georgia today, author, speaker, podcaster, cowgirl extraordinaire. Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Happy greetings from Athens, Georgia. How are things in Athens? Yeah, oh, it's give just me the, the best. The Bulldog Nation, man. I just love it so much. Did you get a letter in the mail Bulldog saying that you didn't Nation. finish one credit? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> you had to go I back. wish they'd let me come is back. This a, is this a Billy Madison situation? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's cool is I got to come and teach at the campus ministry where I was a student the whole time I was here. And I've never taught there before. <gasps> it was amazing. That's like working at the Chick-fil-A that you always went to growing up. Yeah, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, it's really special. Y'all, there's like 1,100 college students that go every Wednesday night. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is a lot. That's a healthy amount. I think that's a lot of people. Y'all are all kind of very calm about it. I think that's a lot of people. That was not the case when I was 1100 in, in school here. Georgia students at the church service and 1,050 at the after service keg party. <laughs> We're never going to have fun talking Georgia, Florida stuff together, so we can just let it be. It's been awesome. The- I love being here. It is such a treat to be back 20 years after I started school here. Annie, what was your what's your biggest? Like, I ask this in my in my interviews sometimes. Ben. What was the biggest uh, like like? Wow, I can't believe I've been invited to be a part of this moment. Like the most surreal, like I never would have thought I would be invited oh to, to to join this thing. Can I be as someone's plus one? Yes, sure. I think you that's don't even mean better. something yeah, that I'm yeah. invited for my skill. Yeah. I'm just get to be in a room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I was the plus one. It's for my friend to the Grammys in 2009. And that Great. by far, I mean Who was the friend? Uh yeah. Hillary Scott from Lady Annabellum. Oh. It was before the, she or she was before the people in the band were married. So they all brought friends. Yeah. And well, one of the guys was married, but the other guy brought a friend and Hillary brought a friend me. And it was, I mean, you just get to go everywhere. You get to go in the like tent with all the free stuff where you just grab jeans and jewelry and perfume and Wait, shoes. And the friends do or the famous people do. I got to. You did. I yeah. didn't know there was some sort of bazaar at oh, the Grammys yes. where you had to go. But it's a swag tent. Like, it's a it's swag, a swag tent. tent. Yeah, it's a swag tent. <laughs> they have a they have a smaller version at Lollapalooza, Tyler and, oh, uh, yeah, and Jesse yeah, and I true. have gotten passes over the years to the uh, artist swag room where we got into. Yeah. And we we got some swag. I always feel weird though. I always feel weird with swag. Like you know and. A lot of times, like I'll get something there and I really like it, but I, I feel I don't know, I don't know why, but I end up usually giving it away or something. I just feel weird, like having something nice that I didn't pay for, that I did nothing to earn, that I was just present. And and, and Jesse, you know, what do you feel about uh, wedding registries or baby registries? No, no. <laughs> Listen, if you want to, okay. You know what my take is? Oh, tell the, me. 
Okay, big. It, it's it's a big wedding. It's a whole industry, man. Like, they, okay, they, they, these these sociopaths at Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, yeah. They want to oh get. Oh my gosh, they, you went straight for a store. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. okay. Because Go. listen, listen. I this got, problem has a name. Yeah, serious. <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond wouldn't exist. Okay, here's the thing. I'm telling you. Go to Bed Bath and Beyond any any like evening. It could be uh-huh. during the week, not uh-huh. just on the weekend. That during wedding like season, evening. during wedding yeah. season, and you see these stressed out couples that aren't even married yet getting in fights over which duvet cover they're going to buy while they're both armed with those little laser not buy. guns. Not buy, ask for exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. They're Use. sewing. Yeah. They're, and here's my here's my theory. Like they're sowing seeds of discontent. Early on in marriages, hoping that these people one day be remarried and have to re-register because <laughs> they're undoing marriage counseling at Bed Bath and Beyond. You know, like the guys look, you know, oh, this 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 uh, uh, waste basket here looks perfectly fine, and the and the wife's like, no, we registered for like a fifty dollar one at Pottery Barn. Okay, look, you you you're causing strife in couples right away. I want to solve all of this. It uh-huh. cash. Cash and Bitcoin only. Oh, cryptocurrency. <laughs> cryptocurrency. So you're okay people hand you cash, but not products? Yes. Cash That's, is fine. That is, because that cash, is imbalanced. That is an no, imbalanced no. take on life, which could be the tagline of how you handle just about every opinion. Listen, I don't even, I don't like any a, a lot of A lot of cultures do that, though, because here's like, here, you know, like uh, $20,000 to like help you get your yeah, home exactly. and start your life and Man, all these who's things. Got friends that are giving you 20 G to hey, get married. I, I know lots of people like Annie, you, you are from the South. Okay. And 100%. as, am, as am I above the Mason Dixon, they do weddings differently. I was married in New York and yeah. it was, it was a cash. It was just a cash grab a cash party. Oh, it was a cash party. Like <gasps> people, I mean, that's how it operates up there. I'm wow. not just for I, I'm for every exchange just moving to cash. Hey, because hey, Annie, haven't you seen the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yes, about nineteen fifties New York. Yes. Uh the the dad, you know, at the bar mitzvah for the kid, like twenty thousand dollars of cash came in and the dad mm-hmm. ended up taking it, using it for other things. And when he was a full grown adult, he gave him the money back. You know, the dad yeah. gave him the money back. I mean, like a lot of cultures like give money at these big life events. We I've been at weddings where they people where that we did one in college where you pinned money on the bride and the groom to dance with them. Have y'all seen yeah, that before? Yeah, the dollar yeah, dance. That's a, that's yeah. Yeah. Dollar dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a little, it's a little yeah. weird. Listen, I'm for I'm for nixing gift giving in general. Like <laughs> if, if you're having an office party and there's <laughs> just give them cash. Like no. the, the, Andy, what would mean more to you? What would what would you if someone were to say right now, here's a shirt that I am ninety percent sure will not only you'll like, but two will fit you right. Like I I second guess my shirt purchases, much less just having a stranger buy them for me. Well, no, hang on. You're, you're not buying shirts for people. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Why are you buying them clothes? Is this the Christmas party? You never give it a shirt as a present? I'm just saying, give me the money and I'll Jesse's buy my own be shirt. It's so fun when he's like I, I, 80. Uh, today, a friend uh, sent me a picture of, uh, of a, uh, okay, her sister's boyfriend. It was conspiring with her about the Valentine's present that the boyfriend was going to get the sister, right? Yeah. And he's going to make this large decoration. Wait, did you say this on the show? Yeah, yeah. This large decoration for her apartment, 
right? This okay. large thing, very hey. unique okay. styling. Can, can, you know, can I, I said, very I'm, unique I'm, I'm going to let you continue, but I want to say one thing. Yeah. In the hierarchy of gifts, yeah. okay, clothing, it, it, it goes cash at the top. Yeah. Gift card just under cash. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some sort of electronic gadget just yeah. under that. All the way down here is clothes, <laughs> and all the way below that is anything handmade. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my reply my reply was wow. I hate that's gift a cards. bold move to yeah. make somebody furniture because yeah. she has no option. You know, like she has no option. She has to like it and put it on her wall, even if she hates it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's <laughs> only until it's it's they break up, and then she can throw it away or burn it or whatever. That's true, man. Somebody gave us a somebody gave us a painting a painting they'd made at our wedding that was Wait, their big painting gift for us. That's, a, see, that's a, the difference. An, if you give a married couple abstract, a gift like that, yeah. there is some pressure. Or if you're married and you give Valentine's gift like that, there is pressure. You live together. If it's a boyfriend, it's like ah, it'll be here until. What we're you're done. basically saying is never invite me over. Otherwise, <laughs> I'll have to look around and see where that's you right. put my painting. That's the answer right. is right. the basement, but that's a. <laughs> the answer is the basement. <laughs> you know what? You know that couple would have liked a lot more than some some you know amateur painting. The uh, a tally of how much he spent on the acrylics and the canvas and whatever his yeah. time is worth, and just writing him a check because the couple would have got. You know what? They can go buy whatever piece of wall art they want. I mean, I don't like people when they. I don't. I, I don't like people. I don't like when people give me gift cards. Oh, hook me up. Send me, send me gift cards, cash. If, if you're if, if you're out there, if you're listening, if, go ahead, go for it. I will. I welcome it. Annie doesn't I mean, want it. I do. Major yeah, corporations no. are sending Chandler gift cards. I mean, it's like it's right. the yeah. gift that keeps on giving. It's very true. Still, exactly. Still yeah. by, by the way, can, speaking of which, I we, I don't think this got any play on the uh, the pod. You know, Chili's at Christmas time reached out to him again and sent him <gasps> a dope bomber jacket. Oh yeah, that yeah. says yeah. That. that says yeah. like skillet queso on the back in yeah. like in like cool. you know cool Annie, script. And it's like it's like one of those varsity jackets, kind of, but it's like nineties like satin finish, like black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, Chandler, did you not show me this? No, I like this, like kind of like English uh, uh, script, like kind of cool, like like, gothic script uh, on the back, and it's embroidered and it says skillet case kind of a fear yeah. of god vibe to it it's pretty it's, it's pretty it does have a, yeah. it does have a fear slick. of god vibe like it has like I, the I, script I, yeah. I could see i'll say yeah. this i could see what they were going for yeah they did a whole <laughs> limited edition line that was basically aimed at the you know whole streetwear kind of vibe wow. where like they all sold out and i think the jacket was like 100 bucks or something like that if you bought it yeah, and they sent it to him for free. Yeah, it's crazy, Bill. Yeah, they're like, they're like what, what's awesome. our, you know, who, what what fan among us is the biggest hype beast out there? Oh, it's easy, Chandler Shrek. We have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talked to author Margaret Feinberg. Uh, oh, she, I love Margaret. She's so smart. Yeah. She has a new book coming out. Uh, Jesse, t- t- give us a little preview of the. Piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just came out. So the book, the book is called Taste and See. And like coming into this interview, you know, like as you guys know me, like I am not known for like my highbrow choices in food. I was called out on this very podcast weeks ago for drinking Food Line brand seltzer water in a can. <laughs> and I, okay? I'll do it again if you bring that junk around. We'll do it again. Okay, after that, I I enjoyed this interview of Margaret so much because 
she she not she wanted to dig into like why food is such a huge metaphor throughout the Bible. And not only like this is like an all in book. Like she went to salt mines like in the Holy Land. Like she she prepared bread like they prepared bread in Bible times to understand. Like she was telling me like the social implications of unleavened bread that are used at communion. Like and, and like the, the spiritual meaning behind food. This was one of my favorite interviews I've done in a long time because I was so surprised at how like she could make me so interested in something I didn't yeah. really realize I was interested in. I, I can't wait for people to hear it. That is like a Margaret Feinberg skill. She is yeah. so good at, at at being a storyteller that makes you want to know more. I just adore her. And that book is awesome. You know, you know what was particularly shaming, though? I, I swear this to you. I, that I had just eaten Taco Bell before doing that interview. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, Jesse. Jesse, has it changed? Has has it impacted your eating habits in any way? I, I, okay, this is real talk to you. Tyler knows this. I'm not making this up because okay. I, oh, I told yeah. him oh, this minutes ago. Yeah. Minutes ago, we're recording at 2 p.m. I came back from lunch. Annie, guess what I had for lunch today? This is how much Margaret Feinberg's interview has impacted my life. Oh my gosh. Uh, I was going to say like a salad. No, I don't know. You I was going to say Whole Foods Cameron, what and do you got think? something from the Whole Foods salad bar. Handmade bread. I, I went to a gastro pub down the street and got a beet salad. <gasps> a beet oh my salad. Gosh. Who am I? You Who am I? Did you put protein on that? No protein. I got a bowl of chili on the side. Well, I know. I know. Small steps. Incremental change. All right. Beat All right. Salad. He had a bowl of chili. I mean, it's not exactly like high cuisine here. It, well, with beat a beet salad, salad Cameron. A that is, salad. That is complex. And also, that is complex <laughs> in, in textures, in colors, and aromas. You know, yep. these beets, I don't even know that I had a beet before today. It's very earthy. It kind of tastes good, like you're eating right? dirt. It's like, was it's it, like, did you have red ones or yellow ones, Jesse? It's, it's kind like, of a dirt taste. They were, there was both and they both tasted Ooh. like I put just a handful of dirt in my mouth. I will say no. this recently tilled dirt, but definitely like just a mouthful of dirt. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to open up the palate a little here, you know? It's, yeah. Something they aren't supposed to taste just like dirt. Something. Something needed to be on them, maybe? I don't know. They're great. Jesse, Jesse they I thought really of you. Uh, they, they just announced that on the block next to the office, they're opening a high-end Taco Bell called the Taco <gasps> Bell Cantina. Taco oh, Bell Cantina. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's got you a guys, full... guys, let's it's go got there. Like, it's got, like, craft beer and wine and a full bar and, like, high, uh, like menu items that aren't in normal Taco Bells, but it's also a Taco Bell. It's called Taco yeah. Bell Cantina, and there's like five of them, like around yeah. the country. <gasps> oh or my gosh, that that's, like, that's so like a happy. date night. That's like date night. You know? I, date night. Listen, Taco I don't Bell. even pretend like I don't love a Taco Bell. That place is so good. So a, yeah. a fancy version is my dream come true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, right now in the fancy fast food uh, hierarchy, yeah. you know, I'm not talking casual dining. I'm talking stuff that has drive-throughs. Okay, right. <laughs> you're up. You got Chick Fil A and your Arby's, and you know, then it starts trickling down. Now that cantinas are in play, we might Wait, not. We, put, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Market you fresh sandwiches. Arby's market Taco Bell? fresh sandwiches. It's bistro. <laughs> Have you been to Arby's lately? Annie, if no, not, it's just then don't, then don't question meat. me. It's just, it's just gross, slimy piles of meat. Je- Jesse, we also have a McDonald's that's not a McDonald's. It's called McD's and yeah. they have like a pizza <laughs> kitchen and they have like an ice cream bar and they have like uh, full entrees and stuff like that as yeah. well as McDonald's. It's yeah. like, it's called McD's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This abides by the spirit of what like 
like these places have very specific times and and uh, circumstances that lead me to go into McDonald's right. or Taco Bell, and <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to mess around with it. Like I'm too old. Yeah. I know where these yeah, things. Don't do that. I know to me, what Taco space Bell. these places occupy in my life. No. I don't want you to get it. Stay in your lane, man. I know. I know when yeah, I when I want right. to go to a cantina. I've got my spots already. I don't need Taco Bell <laughs> complicating the narrative. I don't want a burrito without a paper wrapped around it from Taco Bell. Yeah. No, no, okay, no, no. I got to take here. Shocking. We've gotten way too... This generation has gotten way too spoiled with all the dining options. Back in the day, like when I was growing up and my family wanted to take me out to dinner, <laughs> guess what? It was one of two places. Where? Chi-Chi's for a really <laughs> nice meal. Okay, <laughs> Chi-Chi's was number one. Okay? Number two was like a pizza hut that served soda in those red transparent, yeah, yeah, translucent so plastic cups. I love that, had, that pizza That hut. had a buffet. Mm-hmm. That was number two. If it's dining out, you're going to a nice pizza hut or you're going to a Chi-Chi's. <laughs> Both of those are, are almost things of the <laughs> I past I don't know now. Chi-Chi's. Is that a chain or is that a, a Mexican West chain. Virginia local? Yeah, no, like it's a mid-level. It's like, like, a, like, it's a, like a Don Pablo's or a Mexican chain. Yeah, I've never heard like that. Like a typical Mexican chain. Cameron, you remember yeah, Chi-Chi's, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, of course. We had Chi-Chi's. So a cantina of sorts? It's a sort of Mexican <laughs> restaurant where everything <laughs> comes out and it's like a... Like a chimichanga or an enchilada or whatever it, it, it all looks the same it's a on the plate. border it's and the portions are probably massive it's, it's lower you it's get a chips t- and salsa they yeah. give you the, the you get chips and salsa one of those situations and, and, and i'll say this if you're within if you're within a month of your birthday you're getting a sombrero and people they're coming out singing <laughs> like yeah, it's true. one of those type of joints they look for excuses you know i think i've talked about on here I grew, I grew up in a very small town in rural nebraska out in the middle of nowhere as a farm town and, and growing up we had we had a pizza hut and there was a local like mom and pop's place those were the those are the dining out options until one day when they announced that mcdonald's is coming to town and they had i kid you not a mcdonald's parade down main street <laughs> led by ronald twirling a baton and there were dancers and there was a band they had the high school marching band out there bringing it to town and it ended with a big magic show done by ronald mcdonald himself doing wow. tricks before he opened McDonald's for all yeah. of us, it was the it was the greatest <laughs> it, day of it was, my it, life. It was similar times. I'll oh, say this: that's a uh, there, Coke has never tasted better than in those red translucent yeah, plastic yeah. cups. For some reason, one of those ice and a Coke, they just taste better out of that cup. I don't know what it is, but at all those I, I okay. Speaking of wedding registry, if I could do it all over again, <laughs> I would just have nothing but those red plastic cups because everyone loved them. <laughs> everyone would come over and be like, "Dude, these are just like I drank at Pizza Hut growing up." I'd be like, "I know. I got a whole cabinet." Full. I didn't register for him. I asked people to send me cash, and I bought them online. That's how this Jesse, works. I have some Chi-Chi's news for you. I hope I hope you're sitting down. Um, Chi-Chi's is a Mexican restaurant chain operating in Belgium, Luxembourg, Austria, the United Arab Emirate, United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait. The chain yeah. once operated in the United States and Canada, but exited in 2004. Yeah, the health department. We literally the, cannot the, eat the, there. The, hey, the health department. Just if you shut go to Luxembourg, down. the place, the graveyards are littered with strangs. That's where strangs are from. Is <laughs> really? Luxembourg. Hey, you know really? why I know that? The great yeah. strang yeah. massacre. I read your dad's oh, book. Yeah. It's in your book. <laughs> it's <laughs> in the book. Yeah. Chandler has been there. Chandler, haven't no, you? No, no, I've been to didn't? France. Oh, you've been to France? Yeah, yeah, so look at the graveyards. Yeah, we visit graveyards in France. Littered with strings. Make it sound like you guys were like, like you guys were vampires and a slayer got over here. My dad travels internationally for business and will add days to visit the cemeteries to look for his ancestors. Yeah. That's a dad thing. That's a very dad move. Dad's love going to visit the old 
the tombstones of their of people they've never met. <laughs> the way no the way you to. said it though, these graveyards just littered with strengths. It's like there was a big family reunion of strengths in the eighteen hundreds, <laughs> and all the way there there was a ferry accident or something. <laughs> and they just all washed ashore, and now it's a graveyard. It's pretty pretty morbid, but right? you know that's, that's that's for some reason that's where my mind went when you said a graveyard littered with strengths. Like they just haphazardly like well right they just, just all died there yeah we're just you know the tide just washed them <laughs> up. Yeah. Sad about that family reunion, but he, yeah. here, here they lie. <laughs> they had a string designated survivor, fortunately. Otherwise, Cameron wouldn't be here right now to tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> he was in that one guy to the family reunion. Yeah, he was. <laughs> All right, we'll move the show along. If you listen to Tuesday's show, it was a big day for the Relevant Podcast. We went live. Um, we uh, afterwards, it went well. I mean, thousands of you joined us on the live stream uh, on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we're going to keep doing it every Tuesday. So if you missed Tuesday's show, uh, you can watch it on demand on Facebook and on the relevant YouTube channel. Uh, but make sure to like set a little uh, reminder for this Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, and you can join us or you can watch us record an audio podcast. Uh, that's that's the big sales pitch here. Um, but in this kind of shift, uh, we have some new ideas, some enhancements, some things we're going to be doing to the video experience as we keep going. Uh, we're also evolving the Friday show just a little bit. So for the first time ever, it's the big debut. It's time for the hot list, the hot list. Uh, in case you missed it, it's dead. It's now the hot list. If you read it's like a magazine, string in Luxembourg, it's like a string on that ferry on that fateful, fateful family uh, that, reunion afternoon. That famous <laughs> saying we all use. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, all right. So better than a ferry bound string. That's what they say. <laughs> the hot list is counting down the top five stories of the week. Here it is. Number five. Number five. Uh, number five. I don't know if you saw it, but Gunger is officially ending Gunger so they can pursue something new. In a blog post this week, Michael Gunger, one of the lead singers and songwriters of the self-described liturgical post-rock musical collective, announced that the band is ending. He wrote, we love where we've come from. We love the journey, but strangely enough, we feel like that journey is over. Gunger feels like uh, it's done what it needed to do, said what it needed to say, and now it's time for something new. Of course, this doesn't mean that we're going to stop making music. Music is a part of who we are. And like I mentioned, we already have a bunch of stuff recorded that we're trying to figure out what to do with brand and marketing wise. But as for Gunger, we simply don't feel the need to keep trying to write new stories on the same old paper. He also admitted that many fans have been frustrated by the direction of the band and the lyrical themes of recent albums. He said, for the last four albums, we've sometimes left many of our fans confused or frustrated. What are they singing about now? Do they even believe in Jesus anymore, etc.? But we've always tried to stay true to what's happening in our hearts at the time of recording a record. Uh, they're soon kicking off their end of the world farewell tour. Here's a clip of Gunger in 2010 performing beautiful things in the relevant studio. one of the first artists that we recorded uh, live as part of this podcast. And they have come back three or four times over the years. So 
Uh, they've been that a song big holds part up of, like gangbusters. It's still oh, a really man. pretty song. I, I, I listen. You know, <clears throat> we we did kind of a little retrospective thing on the site this week about this, and I watched that performance. They they're so like just like naturally great musicians. Like yes, it's an incredible song, but you know, uh, both of the you know Michael and Lisa are uh, you know prodigies when it comes to you know the mastery of their instruments, and that is. I, I will be interested to see the direction they're going, especially because, as you know, Michael particularly has made very clear his theology and his thoughts on you know the whole idea of worship has changed very dramatically since Gunger was Gunger. He, when when I was in college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, his dad Ed Gunger uh, launched a church uh, that pretty much all the students went to. It was amazing. It was one of these exploding churches. And uh high school student, Michael Gunger was the worship leader. Yeah. And I, oh, I wow. just remember being blown away by him back then. You know, yeah, was, I was, I was lived on the same floor at one point as his, his brother, Rob Gunger. And he was a prodigy. He was, he plays piano. He doesn't play with the band, but the whole family is just incredibly gifted. It's amazing. There's been some, uh, I know there's been some sort of like, I would guess I'd call them hurt feelings about what's kind of been perceived as like an ambiguous, an ambiguous spirituality on the part of Michael and Lisa, even though I feel like they've both been pretty explicit throughout what has definitely been a, you have to kind of keep up because they've, they've charted their journey. Um, they've, they've both been very open about it, both with us and, and with some other profiles that, that I've seen around. Uh, and I understand why people would feel a little bit, hurt by that but i think it's extremely rare to be as candid and transparent as they have been about their their changing philosophy and theology and i think i would much prefer that to sort of this guessing game or sometimes straight up deception where people continue to try to make money yeah. and sing about things they don't actually believe in anymore that, that to me is the bigger thing i mean I, and annie no disrespect to nashville industry i know you're friends with a lot of people but i know of a lot of notable christian artists that live kind of double lives. They have the public oh, yeah. Christian persona and then their real lifestyle. And it's, and to be yeah. fair, not all of them live in the same city, of but course. that can be true. <laughs> that is true across that industry. That does not have to do with zip codes necessarily. Sure. 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 Yeah. And, and, and that whole thing of like, I'm a, I'm a professional Christian, you know, <laughs> like, and an entertainer, not, not even a pastor, you know, is, uh, you know, very difficult. And to be fair, we are all four professional Christians. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. if you want to, if you want to knock the group, you're going to, you're talking about us too, because we make a living off the same thing. It just looks different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I no, I'm not knocking we're anything. professional Christians. No, no, no. no. We're, I was just saying, it's like, it's a tough thing to walk out an evolving belief system or anything yeah. when your income is tied to a certain, you know, theology yeah, and whatever. And I was just, I sure. was just affirming what, what Tyler was saying that yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, I mean, that's got to be risky. true for y'all with magazines. Like it's true for me with books where there's like, I may have say I, a book that I released in 2012. I might say some things differently now than I did then. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I so hope it is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it's true with ma the magazine but, but, too. Yeah. But, but, but the benefit of this platform is, you know, you, you're allowed to be revisionist, right? Like, you know, we put out a new product all the time and we're not revisiting old. Where like, if I'm a worship leader, a hit song that I wrote five years ago, people are still yeah, going to want to hear me point. sing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if poor, I still believe that. Poor Jars with I, Flood. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like they're, they're, they're playing that as an encore for the rest of their lives, yeah. you know. But, but, but I mean, but it gets yeah. problematic when like, you, you know, because like if I said something on this podcast 10 years ago that I no longer believe I'm not up here parodying Jesse, it. We have. 
I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, a, a number, a, a number of times. But, I, but, but again, I'm not up here having to repeat it every single week. Where if you're an artist and and you have a song that you're like, well, I don't really believe this song anymore, and you're still performing it, that does create, you know, especially that's, yeah, that's in like point, worship. Jesse. It's not just like these. You know, a lot of them are see what they do is not just performing music, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we running a story in an upcoming issue of the magazine where two worship leaders question whether they believe what they're seeing anymore. And it led to, you know, some, some, you know, a whole new type of, of album they ended up putting out, but I don't think it's an uncommon thing. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong as long as they're, you know, willing to be transparent about the evolution of their belief and not just try to monetize old beliefs. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. the thing is like when you're living insincerely. I had a, I was out uh, with a Christian artist friend who was in town a month ago, and he's kind of walking away from that part of his career and doing other things. and And it really was because his beliefs, like he just couldn't he couldn't do it anymore. He didn't fit the mold anymore. And he was asking me, he's like, "How do you, oh, you're kind of phoning it in with relevant, right? I mean, like you've evolved a lot in the last decade, and I'm like." relevance evolved in the last decade dude yeah. i was like it's that thing of like you're always you're always creating you always have a blank page you're always creating something new and yeah you know if we're not progressing if we're not evolving if there's not a journey then what's the point you know but but it is incredibly limiting when there's a kind of a very firm kind of christian radio or you know an expectation that an industry has and if you veer outside of it you, you have no place, you know? And so it's a big risk what Gunger and some of these other artists are doing, but I, I respect it. You know, part of the the evolution of Gunger started when, you know, he openly discussed, you know, possibly not believing in a, in a literal interpretation of Genesis and churches started canceling their appearances and that kind of, you know, I mean, they've been open about that. That, that was this, kind of, to some degree, has started this whole journey. Andy, do you think, because yeah. I feel like we, uh, you know, we make a magazine, the magazine is, is out the door and in two months we got another one coming out and I don't, there's not a whole lot of people who are combing through past issues saying, well, this doesn't line up with what you said back in 2006 or whatever. Do you feel like that would be a more of a risk for you because you have actual books that are on show, you know, people, people can and, and could do that. Yeah. I think it would probably more happen with things that I do on stages that are videoed, you know, cause so many people kind of, um, so many people have their hands on a book and so many people do the editing and my books aren't like theology. I mean, there's theology in them, but they're not like teaching new theology, you mm-hmm. know? And so I, I wouldn't have as much as a concern, though there are still things I would write differently. There's, I would tell stories differently in some of my first books and I would tell them now, but it, sometimes I think more like, uh, I've grown in my teaching and I've grown in my thoughts on some things and I probably wouldn't teach that scripture in connection with that story again, but what can you do about that? You do the best you can as long as every day. I mean, the, and this is true for all people who teach and for you guys when, with what you make too. But, um, you know, I, all I can do today is, is do the best I can to be as near to the Lord as possible and teach what I feel like I'm learning when I am studying scripture alone and in community. And, and I hope that that grows and changes over the years, but yeah, that's, that's probably more scary to me, Huck, than books. 
Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think we kind of alluded to this, but you should like if you have the exact same spiritual beliefs and position that you did 10 years ago. Well, that's not a spiritual journey. That's a spiritual sitting in place. And and that's not necessarily a sign of a lot of growth and development. I will say to you, tell me if you agree with this or disagree with this, but you're saying you may not have the same spiritual beliefs. I actually think you can have the same beliefs for your whole spiritual journey. You just have more knowledge the more you grow. You can find, you can have most of your beliefs stay the same. An example being Jesus is the son of God. That's a belief that is not going to change. Your understanding of Jesus can grow and change. Well, there's core, there, I think there's a difference between like what I would call core beliefs right, right, or right. maybe like the theology, the, the theological term would be like salvific beliefs oh, and, uh, uh, and more like auxiliary, not auxiliary. Cause it, I understand that it's all that in a systematic theology, it's all kind of connected, right. but I think that there are certain core things that'll definitely stick and, and stay very, um, stay very true and that you should like clamp down on those things. And then some things that you should be willing to hold in a looser palm because yeah. they, they could change and evolve over time. Yeah, I think that's true. That sounds, that, that's who I hope I am. I hope I am strong on the things that are core beliefs that cannot move. And I hope that I learn and grow in every area as a yeah. teacher. Then, as yeah, a, I, I guess it's the challenge comes when it, it like <clears throat> when the idea of what's a core belief and what sort of, you know, an ancillary belief for some mm-hmm. people, you know, that's the, that line is very different. Like, I mean, if someone, you know, develops a different belief about, um, the afterlife, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, th- that's where you, you see, you, you know, people tossing around, you know, these terms that are, there's no coming back from after you're right. labeled like a heretic or, or, you know, uh, like uh, pariah or something, you know, just if you're kind of asking questions as part of the evolution, you know, that's where it kind of gets. Uh, you yeah. Know. And I think you're right. The worships leading a worship song that you don't feel theologically connected to anymore. I can't imagine how hard that would be. That sounds, that sounds really painful. Number four. Hey, number four, uh, 2019's batch of emojis that are coming out this year uh, contains wait. new prayer options. Uh, the Unicode Consortium has revealed several dozen new emojis that they will make available this year. And along with people in wheelchairs, ears, a yawning face, very good, waffles, <laughs> and a handful of others, uh, several versions... Sloth of people kneeling in prayer will become available. Although there aren't a ton of overtly religious emojis, hands meeting in prayer and praise hands have previously been made available. Although I have heard it said that the praying hands one is two people high-fiving Jesse. So I've heard that disputed. I, I, I read a take online this past week that, that was like, no, this is praying. That's what I read a take. Can't I don't you know. just make it read it to you? Doesn't um, it say it? Yeah, I, I can't. I honestly, I was doing so much research on um, because we were doing a write up about this about the Unicode Consortium, but I came across the prayer thing, and I can't remember if it was someone from there uh, or not. But it, se- it seems to be, from what I understand, the consensus that it is praying hands. But who knows? I guess emojis are left to some in, in interpretation. But the Unicode Consortium is a very interesting and weird group. Like, it, 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 you know, they decide, it's an, one, it's a nonprofit. And the reason why they have so much power is because the emojis that they use have to work on devices for like every brand and they have to be emojis sure. that, that, uh, 
uh, translate in every culture. Like th- these aren't just like, oh, oh yeah, this is what yeah, are the yeah, new yeah, emojis yeah. for your iPhone are. These are the new emojis for everything. Yeah. And so it's actually extremely complicated. And they're infamously picky with with the new ones that they they release. That's kind of why the prayer ones are, are so significant, because yeah. it's not like they just you know, th- th- these aren't these aren't done at random. Like surprisingly, there's a lot of thought that goes into these. What what emoji doesn't exist that y'all wish you had? Oh, I'd have to think about it. I was glad to see that they're they're launching a one with like the the small hand, like the like two fingers showing that something is little. Because I've yeah. wanted that in the past <laughs> for such a long time. I wanted the smiley face with um, dollar signs for eyes. I wanted that one for so long because I think that's so funny. <laughs> and I was so cheddar. happy when we got yeah, it. I, uh, yeah, I, me over the years, I wanted an eye roll, and then they came out with an eye roll. Yeah, so I'm happy. Yeah. I'm good. The eye yeah. happy. The eye the yawn, handy. I could see the yawn. Good. The yawn coming. I think the yawn will be popular. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to use the sloth anytime I wish I could use the yawn. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm be like, see you guys yeah. later, sloth. Yeah. Well, what, what, Annie, now if I get a bad slice link, it'll just be yawn. And I'm yeah, like, for, sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. For hey, sure. Pete uh, Factory News. Uh, my reply, what? just yawn. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see how excited I thought? God, I thought you had Pete Factory no, no, no. News. I was setting up my yawn emoji joke. That's awful. I got so excited. I was like, yes, Jesse, what do you have? The only, We're the only do emoji it. that I can think of is tears of joy, like smiling but crying at the same time. We oh, but and not be laughing. You kind of have the no, laughing. No, 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 laughing. Yeah, but everybody knows you're laughing. Thing. It's it's totally different. Oh, oh it. like tears coming down, like yeah, a glow yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. complete contentment and yeah, unbelievable exactly. yeah. joy. Taylor, that's so tender. It is yeah, very tender. Very sweet. I still have to do the emoticon, like the colon, you know, uh-huh, apostrophe. Yeah. It's weird. That doesn't. Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's not in every culture. Maybe that's not a doesn't. Maybe train. people like aren't happy in Botswana. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You, but you don't want that to be left to interpretation. It's that's like true. it's like when, you know, old people think LOL means lots of love. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. hey, I just wanted to let you know, grandma died. LOL. And it's right. like, right. Why, why are you texting me this? You right. don't right. want there to be. Is this happy or sad? You know, yeah. that's true. Number three. Number three. Zaxby's went after Chick-fil-A for closing on Sundays in a Super Bowl ad. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, As Chick-fil-A explains on their website, our founder, Truett Cathy, made the decision to close on Sundays in 1946 when he opened his first restaurant in Hapeville, Georgia. Uh, Having worked seven days a week in restaurants open 24 hours, Truett saw the importance of closing on Sundays so that he and and his employees could set aside one day to rest and worship if they choose, a practice we uphold today. They even have a section on their website dedicated to explaining the vision of closing on Sundays. However, another fried chicken chain, Zaxby's, boo, decided to make, fun, <laughs> to make fun of the practice in a new ad. The commercial doesn't say anything about being a superior product, just that they're open on Sundays. Unsurprisingly, the ad has faced some blowback on Twitter. I was shocked at how like just dumb the ad is. Like It's, it's Jeff Saturday, yeah. you know, the, the football, pr- and, and another old football player that nobody knows like Tim you know Frankie Monday going to like they're walking to a ch- they're walking into a restaurant talking how much they want chicken and like you know they're trying to open the door and they believe it's close and they're actually pushing instead of pulling it's a lame joke <laughs> and then the whole selling point is hey uh, you know when are we going to meet here again and he's like Monday Tuesday <laughs> Wednesday he's like I know on Sunday it's like it's just conceding Eat Chick-fil-A every other day of the week because they're a lot better than Zaxby's. Because they start in Chick-fil-A like the number five franchise in the world or something. 
Like I said, like it's there. Yeah, they're really high of like maybe fast food. Like I I, I said, in 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 boutique fast food, they're right there with Arby's and now (laughs) I think it's amazing. They can do in six days what, what everybody else is wishing they could do in seven. Number two. All right. Number two. Actor and activist Ashton Kutcher shared a pro-life video this week that's gone viral. Uh, In the clip, Special Olympian and actor Frank Stevens, who has Down syndrome, speaks in front of Congress in 2017. Though the video isn't explicitly against abortion, it does have a powerfully pro-life message. Part of Stevens' speech is a warning against the motivations behind some types of prenatal screening. Kutcher captioned the video, Everyone's life is valuable. It's been viewed nearly 18 million times. Here's a clip. Across the world, a notion is being sold that maybe we don't need research concerning Down Down syndrome. Some people say prenatal screens will identify Down syndrome in the womb and those pregnancies will just be terminated. It's hard for me to sit here and say those words. I completely, I completely understand that the people pushing this particular final solution are saying that that people like me should not exist. That view is deeply prejudiced by an by an outdated idea of life with, with of life with Down syndrome. He, I mean, Ashton Kutcher famously uh, is, you know, uh, I, I saw a picture with him and Shelley and uh, Louis Giglio on Capitol Hill with the Indian movement. I mean, he's famously an activist and pro-life and, and, and fighting for life and human dignity causes. It's pretty awesome. I think he's become almost more famous now for like being an activist and just kind of a, like an interesting tech uh, innovator, somebody who yeah. knows how to use tech for humanitarian causes than he ever was as a as an actor. He was always kind of a second rate actor. And now he's become actually a very, very how, inspiring how case of how dare you. <laughs> how how I dare love you. that seventies show. I love that. I'll always love that. 70s <laughs> so, show. So you put him in like, uh, dude, where's my car? Hello. Yeah. So you're putting him like <laughs> in the hierarchy. Acting. If actors were fast food restaurant, he's like a captain D's or long John silver. Like the weird <laughs> right. seafood he's, one. He's kind of, a, he's kind of a Zaxby's in my mind, but yeah, but that's <laughs> yeah. an activist as an activist. You're, you're, I think he's more like a Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he has a, his organization Thorn, it, 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 it like is actually developing technology because, like you said, um, uh, I, Tyler or I can't remember which one about his um, interest in developing new technology, and his company Thorn actually utilizes proprietary software to identify, uh, you know, content on the internet that may uh, help lead authorities to rescue children from human trafficking. And uh, he's doing a lot in that space. Like Cameron said, he even uh, did some work with the Giglios uh, last year. Number one. And coming in at number one on the hot list this week, a guy used a CPR trick from uh, a classic office episode to actually save someone's life. A tire center employee named Cross Scott 
no relation to Michael, was taking one of his customers' cars for a test ride when he saw a sedan pulled over with its hazards flashing. He pulled over to see what the issue was and saw a woman who appeared to be unconscious behind the wheel. Oh, wow. He used a rock to break the window open and told two passersby to call 911. He found that the woman had no pulse. He explained to the Arizona Daily Star, I've never prepared myself for CPR in my life. I had no idea what I was doing. However... He's a big fan of The Office and remembered the classic scene in which the gang is forced to undergo first aid training. He remembered the instructor's direction for Michael to pump the chest of the test dummy to the beat of the song, Staying Alive. Though medics oh wouldn't gosh. release details of what caused the incident, they did confirm that Scott saved the woman's life. Here's a clip of the classic scene. I remember listening to it might just save a life. Okay, too fast. Everyone, we need to pump at a pace of 100 beats per minute. Oh, okay. That's uh, hard to keep track. How many is that per hour? How's that going to help you? I will divide and then count to it. Right. Okay, well, a good trick is to pump to the tune of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Do you know that song? Yes, yes, I do. I love that song. <clears throat> First I was afraid, I was petrified. No, it's... Uh, 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 staying alive. Okay. I, think that's my, I think that's my favorite office scene of all time. No way. I think that's my number really? one favorite That's your favorite scene. of all time. I think so. I love that scene is just like laugh after laugh after laugh. It just piles yeah. on top yeah. of each other. I will say, okay, I will say this. And as people heard from, from that clip, you know, there's, it's a three, like we're not playing the three minutes, but the actual scene itself in, in a, in a like, uh, uh like joke, packing in good jokes in a three minute span it it doesn't get any better and it every character has a tiny moment like here's the great thing yeah. about that scene if you go back and watch it every moment has a character to to to, to, to shine like creed has a weird line in it kevin has a good line in it uh, uh mindy kaling is like dancing kelly. it yeah kelly Dwight has a good a, line yeah, yeah. dwight cuts the face off the dummy and where is it and then uh uh, uh what's his name at corporate uh how can i forget david, um, david. Uh, uh yeah D- david, david has a great uh 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 scene every character has a great moment of shine three minutes it, it, in terms of joke density it may be the best Joke three minutes. Density. It may be the best that's scene a, That's in the a series. listicle you should make someday, Jesse, is like best episodes of shows based on joke density. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple early Simpsons that I'd put in there. Like when Conan was writing, every joke, there was no setup. It was all punchlines. It was like a know? ringer, like a ringer piece. Yeah, where they it feels would like, like a ringer piece. It out to, yeah. I, I, and like I thought about chart. this. I think that the show with the highest joke density, that no line goes to waste. There are two that come to mind. 30 Rock? 30 Rock. And I was going to say. For sure. I was going to say yeah, 30 Rock. that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But like every I might line. Throw Veep in. I might throw Veep in and at the tail end. Like Arrested the Devel- Development. There are episodes that I couldn't breathe. Like I couldn't catch up. Oh, yeah. 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 That's the yeah. thing. That's what I love about I 30 Rock is like you almost can't laugh out loud because you'll miss something. Like yeah. you have to just like quietly suppress your laughing. That's like, a little bit true up. about Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, too, right? I mean, there were moments of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where if you laugh, you're going to miss the Titus next Andromedon's thing. lines are <laughs> stunningly good. He's one of the best sitcom characters in history, in my mind. There are so many good throwaway lines in 30... Like, I was watching 30 Rocks, some old episodes on a plane the other day. And... And, and it was like from season two or something. And I had seen these episodes, but you lose like there was a scene where it was like Jerry Seinfeld was like the guest star. And um, uh, <laughs> like Jerry, you know, uh, what's um, Alec Baldwin's character's name? Uh, it doesn't matter. Donaghy. But, 
Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack Donaghy is trying to convince Jerry to do him a favor. And he's like, I saved your life from a shark in the Caribbean. And, you know, and like as Jerry's about to leave, he goes, I'll do it. But I still think you shot a dolphin that day. And it, was like, <laughs> it was like, it was just like such a great, like, throwaway line that could, the, the scene could have totally existed without it. But it was such a good joke, you know? And every scene is packed with jokes like that, you know? It was the like, development. That's how I feel about Lucille and the loose seal. Yeah. You know, you're just like, that's just hilarious. That doesn't yeah. matter at all. That's just a very good use of a pun. Or, or like they, it was like that one of the episodes where Tracy Morgan like references, uh, like he's like cleaning out his office and he's like, no, that's the Grammy I won for my, um, novelty, uh, bar mitzvah werewolf song. And they cut away to a music video and he's like, men will become boys. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. Boys will become men. Men will become wolves. And it's like, it's in like a bar mitzvah. It was so good that the dedication to the joke is so fantastic in every episode. I'll you never know? begrudge. I'll never begrudge a show it. doing too much. Like they didn't need to make a whole music video for the right. werewolf bar mitzvah joke that's but, right man they 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 did they wrote a yeah. whole entire song about it you can yeah. buy it. it's on spotify yeah and do you know the uh, and even though like only about two seconds of it shows up in that episode uh, do you know a fun fact a trivia fact is it's not tracy morgan singing in it it's donald glover who was on the writing staff really? of 30 rock at oh, the yeah. time childish yeah. gambino that's how he got his start he, he was doing a vocal writer. impression of tracy morgan singing that song that's a little uh a little i, did, know I did not yeah. know that there you go. There you go. Jesse, you are just a wealth of useless, useless, yeah. useless knowledge. <laughs> and that's why this is the number one. That's why this is the number one on the list of the week. That's, look that's look right. at all we got out of that. That's a ton of material. I'm just saying, what other profession, Annie, would this serve me in any possible way? I know. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. <laughs> all right. That'll do it for the debut of The Hot List. The Hot List. Stay tuned. Up next, Margaret Feinberg joins us. Because I've Listening to the Japanese house, the song is Maybe You're the Reason. Probably are. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Coin with I Want It All. Well, today's show is brought to you by Blinkist. Uh, being able to practice mindfulness every day is something we all want to achieve, and sometimes it can be really hard when we're overwhelmed with work or other aspects of life. There's an app I highly recommend which might help you be more mindful every day. It's called Blinkist. It's the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down to just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to them. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of books quickly without reading the entire book. With an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day while you're on the go. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now. It has a massive and growing library from self-help to business to health and history books, and a lot more. Go check it out. 
I am a Blinkist customer, and I just last week did The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, one of the books I've been wanting to read for a long time, never did. Did it with Blinkist. You can easily listen in the car. You can get great recommendations on what to read next. Uh, right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for relevant podcast listeners. Go to blinkist.com slash relevant to start your seven day free trial. That's B L I N K I S T dot com slash relevant to start your free seven day trial. Blinkist.com slash relevant. Margaret Feinberg is a popular speaker, Bible teacher, and writer. Her new book, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. She travels the world, visiting salt mines in the Holy Land, baking bread from ancient ingredients, going to a Croatian olive harvest, meeting Texas's meat apostle, and more. All to figure out why God seems to want us to understand food in a different way. We recently spoke with Margaret about her journey and why re-understanding food is actually a spiritual issue. Here is Margaret Feinberg. What gave you the idea to for the concept? Because it's interesting because it makes the case that God is kind of a foodie. It does. It does. You know, if you start looking at food in the Bible, which I don't know about you, but like I'm already thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch and dinner tomorrow. <laughs> um, so I, I love food. But if you start looking, it's like it pops and it sizzles on every page. It just comes alive in this uh, profound way. And you start to see food at really pivotal moments. Um, and so a foodie is simply someone who takes a particular interest in food. And if you, if you start to look at Genesis, I mean, that creation story, it's really laid out like a heavenly Zagat rated buffet and Adam and Eve are there and they're just invited to nosh on everything that is good and delicious. And there's just one food that it's off limits. And, and the original couple of course, take a bite of that in temptation. And I think there's a side of me that think, well, well maybe God would make food, this dark thing, this thing that we should stay away from this thing, but be really careful about. And instead, it's almost as if God redeems food mm. just as he does us. I mean, there are so many miracles that involve food, whether it's the manna that's flavored with honey and oil. By the way, how sweet of that was God? Like, not just to make manna, not just to feed his people, but I'm going to make it sweet for you to remind you of my sweetness and how much favor I'm showing you in this. Uh, We think of... You know, the the widow and, and her overflowing oil. We think of the promised land as this, you know, it's, it's literally a buffet. And the marquee descriptor is the food. Yeah. Um, and then when Jesus arrives, he's constantly identifying himself as, uh, you know, with sheep and vines and living water and the bread of life. And he says, when he comes back, we are going to have the biggest, baddest banquet of all time. And that, that just whets our appetite to say, okay, God, who are you? Give me a fresh appetite. Give me fresh lenses to encounter you, to experience you, to, to live you and interact with you, even around the table with friends and family and, and people coming over. Well, I think one of the metaphors that most Christians, even if they haven't read much of the Bible, are probably familiar with is communion, you know, the sacraments. And mm. you know, I, I grew up very evangelical where it was basically like a saltine and grape juice. And, mm. you know, but when I think about the Bible, it's probably like that was probably like the mm-hmm. best bread and the best wine ever. I mean, Jesus hand selected it. Do you think we, even with something like the sacraments, do you think modern Christians are missing something without putting kind of the time and care into the food that the Bible, you know, the, the kind of implications mm. there that the Bible would, would suggest? 
Yeah, you know, I think that there is such richness. And part of the reason that I, that I wrote the Taste and Seed book and Bible study is the sense of getting to know these elements on a granular level. I mean, let's just be honest. Most of the, the juice that is served, it leaves that kind of like icky taste in the back of your throat. You know, we pass around those, you know, sometimes little flat pre-processed crackers. And to remember that back in the time of Christ, that this was unleavened bread, you know, that they were serving during the Passover. And that bread was not, it was not white flour. White flour was reserved for the wealthy. It's actually been a social marker throughout all of history. And I'm sorry if I'm totally like history no, Bible nerding out on here. I just, yeah, super interesting. I'm just so pumped on this. Yeah. So, so most likely, for instance, when the Egyptians left uh, or the Israelis left Egypt, they were using um, and they and they had their their bread that was on leaven that they they rushed out with because they didn't have time to wait for it to rise. It was likely a barley and an emmer flour. Why is that significant? Because barley and emmer were um, it was the it was the flour of the poor, and the reason was is it was it was easier to grow, it was more drought resistant, and it would produce a higher yield. Whereas white flour was. It was difficult. It was um, prone to, to, to drought. It was prone to pestilence. It was prone to disease. And so you have this population eating this darker flour. And so that becomes significant, for example, when Jesus could have taken any bread when he was feeding the 5,000, and instead he takes the loaf of the boy and it's barley bread. And so he's aligning with the poor. He's, he's even in word and deed, the very bread of life, who was born in Bethlehem, meaning house of bread, takes the bread of the poor and in essence says, I am with you. I didn't come for just the rich and those who have it all together. I came for all of humanity. So when we sit down at the table of the Passover, we sit down again with the unleavened bread, just commemorating what the Egyptians had done all those years before. Likely what Jesus was eating was a, a darker flour bread. And when you start to understand that that bread, you know, in ancient times, it's not like today. It's not, it wasn't pre-sliced. It wasn't, you know, mass produced, but these were families who were going out. And with each seed, they were dropping in the ground. They were praying over it, that the fruitfulness and the life that God would provide. They prayed for that, that land, that the rains would come. They went out, the entire family. This was not just a solo person who did this, who went and tended those crops, who pulled the weeds, who harvested it um, once it was time. You know, then winnowed it, uh, crushed it, created the dough. And, and so when that boy offered that bread, when Jesus ate that bread at the communion table, it was not done in isolation. It was mm. an act of a family who had created that bread. And I think that starts to shift even just a little bit. And there's so much more when we come to the communion table and we realize that this is not just about me. This is not an individual act. What I am partaking of is not an individual gift. It, it is a confession of solidarity with the poor. It is a confession of the fact that I am, I am not my own. I live in community. I need others. And it starts to, that's just a little pinch, but it starts to really deepen the way that we approach the table. Along with kind of the, uh, you know, the health issues associated with not really paying attention to food sources and kind of the community aspect, you know, what do you think, especially within the church that for, uh, I don't want to speak mm-hmm. for everyone, but I feel like a lot of churches yeah. that don't completely ignore the idea of, of food and, and, and the role that it plays in the Bible, but it's certainly not an emphasis in a lot of churches. What do you think the spiritual toll is that that can take mm-hmm. on, on Christian communities? Oh, it can take an enormous toll. That's such a great question. Uh, well, first of all, I, 
I mean, I'm amazed at the number of churches who still aren't sensitive, even at communion, of including gluten-free options. And how about gluten-free options that taste good? Um, how about the toll of buying pre-packaged, terrible-tasting, little flat, something of a cracker, when, when maybe there's people in your church who could get together and would love to bake bread and add some honey in it so it has that sweetness in it, and that they tear off a piece, which is more of a reality than just you know, taking my little isolated piece of cracker and letting it melt on the back of my tongue. Um, I, I also think there's, you know, the importance of churches really thinking about when you have gatherings, when you have even staff meetings, when you gather people together, what are you providing for people who do have food allergies beyond saying, well, there's a salad. I hope you enjoy it. Because there is this thing that when somebody is isolated because they can't eat the food, I don't, I have some food allergies. And so I know what it feels. It feels like people look at you like there's something wrong with you. Um, you're just not as invited in when you're not eating and when you're not partaking. Um, and so being sensitive to those things, I think, is really key for church uh, leaders and those who are organizing events related to the church. Uh, but I think the importance of gathering around the table, you know, encouraging groups and individuals to share meals. Um, I love the word compassion. In Latin, it means com, uh, companus. It, it, it's with bread. And, and creating those spaces where people are eating together, whether it's a bag of microwave popcorn, whether it is, you know, a quick sandwich from Starbucks, whatever that looks like, to, to take time to be together, to slow ourselves, and, and to really, really dive in with each other. I'm so passionate about this. And I think sometimes we go to the table, and I will, I will be honest, like, it's awkward. We don't feel like we can connect. And so giving people resources that make it more natural. Um, at Margaret Feinberg backslash Taste and See, I actually created, and it's a free, um, it's a free giveaway for anybody who purchases the book, but it's, it's memorable meal conversation starters. And it is this um, downloadable deck of cards that just, when you walk into that place of that meal, you have questions to begin asking to take the conversation a little bit deeper, to break the ice more naturally, to move beyond the classic questions of where do you work? How many children do you have? Um, you know, where were you born? But to, to, you know, how did you two meet? And really get into some stuff that is a lot more fun and engaging and fresh and, and cr- can create real connection. That was Margaret Feinberg. Taste and See is out now. Check it out. Listening to Jade Bird. The song is Love Has All Been Done Before. Okay, it is time for your feedback. Last week on the Friday show, we asked you, what is your worst Valentine's Day date story? Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up this week, and we wanted to know your worst memories. You know, a little public therapy. You guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, and you also posted the longer stories on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Here's a few of our favorites. Oh, man. Sarah. There's so Sarah. many, dude. So many. Oh, yeah. So, so many a lot of them. There's so a lot many of painful them. stories. I like how Sarah prefaces it because it's like a thread. She just like kept throwing stories at, but I'm going to yeah. read one of Sarah's. But she started with, 
this is my wheelhouse. <laughs> and I think it's because and I think it's because I've read through a couple of verses. I think it's because she like not only like went to a Bible school where there's presumably just a lot of awkward uh, future pastors, um, but she also and worked, she worked at, at a bo- <laughs> at Christian bookstore. Exactly. Like the only thing that would you know uh, uh, the only other awkward place if she like worked in like the homeschool curriculum business or something like that's the the the. <laughs> Venn diagram of, of awkward dating. Um, okay. So she says that a guy from work, a Christian bookstore, asked me out. He picked me up and had to take me back to his house to meet his parents to get permission to go on the date. Okay. So this individual had to get his parents to approve of the girl before the date even happened, uh, in order for it to, it, so for some reason, Sarah thought this was somewhat normal, um, because she approved and she said she makes a great first impression, uh, especially with parents. Okay. Here's where <laughs> things start to go downhill. Not meeting That's the pretty parents. Downhill for me. Not meeting the parents. Uh, and this will give you a timeline of when this was. They went to go see the film Signs. You guys remember the M. Night oh, Shyamalan yeah. alien sure, yeah. vehicle. Well, big twist ending there. Uh, they, they're allergic to water. I don't know if you guys <laughs> I don't know why they would invade Earth. It's mostly water. Uh, okay. So they went to go see Sign. And as the movie is going, I realize he's really scared. Uh, he's like pinching his nose near his eyes to act like he has a headache instead to try to hide his like literal fear and looking away. It all gets apparent. It all gets apparent to me that he's really not enjoying this movie at all. I lean over and pretend that I'm really scared and ask him if we could leave before the ending. You missed the twist there. Water saved them, Sarah. I don't know if you ever heard. <laughs> he casually and reluctantly agrees, and we walk out. He's driving home in the dark, and I playfully say, boy, it'll be scary walking up to my house all by myself. You know, that's a little hint. Hey, she's gone this far. At least walk her to the door, see what happens. And he says, uh, yeah, but you won't have to drive home by yourself. Needless to say, we never went out again. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Tiffany said that her worst Valentine's was a group date, too. You guys, Taco Bell. <laughs> a group Bringing date to Taco, Bell. to Taco Bell. And wow. she, the two other girls were on blind dates, but the guy she was out with had just been broken up with, which is awful. Like, to be that, like, third tag-along, to what? be with the guy who just got dumped, that's uh, brutal. Why? Why? I mean, my question is, why is that guy going out on a date if he just is going through a breakup? I mean, I like, the like rebound, go, man, go the rebound. Heal. And then heal. Tiffany also said that's the worst two hours of her life. I'm like, y'all sat at Taco Bell for <laughs> two long, hours? That's the longest Taco Bell visit in history. Taco Bell's never seen somebody longer than 20 minutes. Dude, that's like that's like my youth group after youth group. We go down to Burger King. They'd kick us out because we all yeah. just kind of took it over and sat there for yeah. two hours. You do, know? Yeah. do you know another, this is another weird fact that I know, that fast food uh, uh, restaurants have, they have like hard plastic chairs that are always kind of uncomfortable posture wise like you ever notice that um there, there's no angle to them they're all hard plastic because they want they don't want people to get too comfortable they want to cycle people in and out that's, oh a, my that's a true sense makes a true jesse i've never i just He's, feel like today's uh, not, been a real not gift taco bell cantina they actually yeah. have a lot of lounging surfaces. Yeah, most of, most of the seating is in hot tubs, and you just, you just bring the burrito right out, just float it on over, just float it on over. You know? Okay. I like. Uh, oh, I had one here. Oh, this is Jeremiah on Twitter. He said, "I once liked a girl whose birthday was on Valentine's Day, so I sent her a birthday slash val- a Valentine slash birthday theme box at uh, at college as a creative way to tell her I liked her." 
you know, that's hey, he's he's thinking this is a great. I like it. It's creative. Yeah, this is very thoughtful. Except for one fact. It turns out her birthday wasn't on Valentine's Day. I just <laughs> mistakenly thought it was. Now you just look stupid. Was it now, close? I have so many questions. I want to know how he, yeah, was he, it, he, like, he, the next day? I, I, think he, I think he just for some reason presumed it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all girls are born on Valentine's Day. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I like this one from William. In college, oh, there was a girl I've been interested in for a while. We danced around actually going out. So he one night, she invites me over to her place to watch Matt. Mad Men. I decided this was the night I was going to make my move. Picked up a bottle of wine on the way over. We ended up going through a couple of bottles over the course of the evening. All right. Well, wow. That, he's, he's very, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really channeling Don Draper there. For trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the Mad Men era. We were all, we, you know, there were a lot of bad people making mistakes. <laughs> that's to keep that's what you had on your lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After we watched a few episodes, we went outside to get some fresh air. We were sitting in the back of her car, and I decided it was my moment. I turned to her, looked into her eyes, and she looked back at mine. I leaned in to kiss her, and that's when it happened. I vomited all over myself, oh, all over her car, geez. and of course, all William. over her. Oh, that's yeah. a movie. That's well, like yeah. a that, oh that's yeah, well, that'll teach awful. you. That'll teach you from the sipping sipping the devil's water, <laughs> there, William. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable, William. You got what you deserve there. They don't show you that side of Don Draper's yeah. life on Mad Men, I'm afraid. It's not all. That's like that's more like season five Don Draper, less season two, season three <laughs> yeah. Don Draper. <laughs> yeah, he's moved on from Volkswagen ads at that point. And I, I got okay, I gotta I gotta take a little issue with, with Amanda's here. Okay, because this seems thoughtful. It just seems like an execution. The, you know, the guy got out a little, a little in front of his skis. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like a good idea. Uh, maybe he, so he, he was in high school and a guy bought her a fake flower and he put cologne. She says soaked it in his cologne. That's where, yeah, soaking oh, yeah. it sounds like, like a lot, man. I don't know. Don't buy girls fake flowers, but go ahead. He so said, he I, did this for, right. I, don't, I don't think he should have said this. I think this is what, uh, I think this is why Amanda, he said he did it for his last girlfriend. She loved it. She loved <laughs> it. It worked for her to yeah. work for you. That's what exactly. they always that say. Was probably, that's probably why she was so repulsed by right. it. She says it smelled so, so strong. It lived in the garage because I couldn't breathe it in my house. Uh, uh, anyway, she said she ended up marrying her high school sweetheart, not this guy. Why was she even keeping the flower around? Like, just wave right. to the guy she goes and just Right. You trash it if it smells that bad. That seems like, look, the guy was trying to get a little creative. Annie, you don't think that's, do you, do you think that's just a creepy no, move? No, a fake flower is always yeah. the wrong answer. Even if, it fake has, even if it has, like, let's say the guy is like a Stetson man. He has a real distinct musk. Like when he I walks mean, if in. If you're going to buy me like a $400 <laughs> fake fiddle leaf tree, I'll take that. Spray your cologne yeah, all over that. Plans. But I don't want your, I don't want your fake rose or your fake lily sprayed with Stetson. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a bad move. I'm not here for that. <laughs> Good to know. Well, you can't. Annie, you give out. You give out some really Annie, great dating advice. I will on have show. you know, you can't spray Stetson on a real flower because it will wither and die immediately. It is like pure poison. It's, it's basically round. A lot of people use Stetson as Roundup. It is uh, it's very effective. Very effective. All right. Well, that'll do it for last week's feedback. Go check it out on uh, on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. There's a lot more there. Uh, it's very sad. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. So earlier we were talking about big wedding and the registry scheme 
machine. I don't yeah. know. What do you call it? What, what's your, what's your, what would you call it, Jesse? I call it uh, big, big lots. No, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's <laughs> big, 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 big lots. What are you talking about? Nobody's you registering get, a big lots. Listen, Chandler, would you be above registering a big lots? I know you know you can find <laughs> deals there. Chandler's all about big lots. Uh, Chandler and I have a lot of similarities. Like, I'm like, dude, let's go to big lots, man. You never know, dude, what you're going to find. You never know. Just walking around big lots, you find some, you know, some treasures. There's things. He's not wrong. He, I would, I would see, I would watch like a, a, like a, you know, Amazon Prime show that's basically Chandler doing his own version of American Pickers at Big Lots, at like where he's going to like he's going to real shady Chandler Big Lots. Does American like ones, Pickers at yeah. Big Lots. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. He's like haggling with the workers and like, sir, yeah. I, like, I don't set and the prices. And the, and the, yeah, the haggling's just like, no, I don't care. Honestly, you could walk out with it right now without paying for it, and I wouldn't. Nobody would stop you. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, anyway, we got time about that. Got us thinking. What is the weirdest gift you've ever been given? Maybe you registered for something or you hoped for something and people went went rogue. They got you what they wanted to give you yeah. instead. Maybe it's for Valentine's Day. Maybe it was for uh, some other gift giving occasion. But we want to know the weirdest gift you've ever been given. You can tweet us at Relevant Podcast or you can post the longer stories on the podcast episode page at Relevant Magazine. Dot com. Can, can I just give? I, I feel like it's just I got to put a bow on the wedding registry thing real quick. Oh boy! If, yeah, if yeah. you are going conventional, you're not actually for cash. Listen, shoot your shot, man. Like go Get the good stuff. Go and register for something mm-hmm. that no one, no one's gonna buy you that twelve hundred dollar TV. There's no reason for it not to be on your registry. You know, shoot your <laughs> shot. Put the big guns on there. You never know. You never know. And on the know? off chance, yeah. yeah, on the off chance, like like you'll you'll always wonder. You don't want to always wonder what would happen if I just mm. put the, like a marble statue. I don't know. One of my buddies went through the whole frozen food section and marked a ton of frozen food on his and his wife's registry. It was awesome. (laughs) It's a great idea. That's what I would have gotten for sure. A lobster tank. I want a lobster tank. tank. How cool is that? Don't have those anymore. Huh? Like you're talking about Chi Chi's in the 80s. Yeah. You know, like high end seafood, not even high end seafood restaurants, even like Red Red Lobster Lobster had a live lobster tank right in the lobby. I I think they still do. Yeah, oh, I do. think they Probably. still do. It's been a while since I've been to Red Lobster. I haven't, I haven't been inside one for a while. I think we've evolved. Like, I feel like there's been enough social evolution and values that now it's a little weird to like look at a living thing in the eye moments before eating it. <laughs> like, like yeah. that's just gotten a little awkward. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's the one I want to pull away from his family and watch boiled alive and then consume with butter. <laughs> like, I feel like people are just more comfortable letting the, the chef pick it out. You know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. Many thanks to Margaret Feinberg for joining us on today's episode. Her new book, Taste and See, is out now. You can also follow her on Twitter at Ma. Feinberg, M.A. Feinberg. Thanks also to Blinkist for sponsoring the show and making the episode possible. Remember, you can go to Blinkist.com slash relevant to start your free seven-day trial. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash relevant. Uh, hey, we have some big news. Uh, I'm bearing it at the very, very end of the show. Big news. Uh, on next next week, uh, we are debuting a new daily show at Relevant. And we'll talk about it more on the Tuesday podcast. It's called Relevant Daily. And every afternoon, we will go live uh, for 
I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes the afternoon, bring you the day's news trends conversation about what's happening. It'll also be an audio podcast, a new audio podcast for us, but it'll also be video streamed every day. Uh, tune in. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Relevant, uh, at Relevant Podcast as well. And uh, we'll make sure that you know all the info for the debut of Relevant Daily coming up next week. It's really exciting. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. And I'm Annie F. Downs. We will see you live on Tuesday. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Boys will become men. Men will become wolves. Relevant Podcast Network.